Hey, what's up guys? Welcome to City Church. I want to invite you to connect with us on social media, get live stream service notifications, access podcasts, and up-to-date information on upcoming events. We're so glad you're joining us for a powerful, life-transforming message from one of our pastors here at City Church. We would love to hear how God is impacting your life through this ministry. Please share your experience with us by emailing prayer at citychurch.life. If you'd like to be a part of what City Church is doing in our city and beyond, you can contribute financially by going to citychurch.life forward slash give and choosing the giving option that works best for you. We consider resources like this to be supplemental and not a replacement for community. If you live in the Savannah area, please consider joining us for service. We hope you enjoy this message. Welcome to week three of uh, NSFW, Not Safe for Work, in case you were wondering uh, what NSFW stood for. Uh, we are talking about some of the topics that really are almost kind of taboo in the sense of the world around us. So NSFW exists because you get an email at work and it's marked NSFW and it's like, hey, don't open this while you're in the office, wait till you're at home. Typically it's something that's inappropriate and that's the reason that that's tagged on there. And there are just a lot of conversations inside of scripture that are inappropriate in the minds of those who are not believers. And part of the way that we share the gospel is we grab a hold of the things that inside of scripture about who we are that are offensive, right? Because the gospel is offensive. What do, I, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by the gospel is offensive? The gospel says that without Jesus, you, there is no hope, right? Without Jesus, your eternity has a problem in front of you. And, and if, we don't, if we don't acknowledge that Jesus is Lord of our lives, then that, that's problematic for us, right? Because we want to think that we're in control. We want to think that everything's okay, that everything is good. But the reality is that without Jesus, without the sacrifice that was made, everything's not okay. And there, there, there is a lack or a loss of hope in the world around us. So week one, we talked about the idea of identity and discovering who we are. And that the word teaches us in Genesis, looking there in those first few chapters at the creation story, that man, Adam, really discovers who he is when he is faced with woman and that he had been given the ability to name all of creation and he could not figure out who he was until he was paired with somebody else, right? And so there is something about equality to be said inside of that. There is something to be said about identity inside of that. The reality that when we do life alone, we're going to struggle with knowing who we are and what we were meant for. But when we do life around others, all of a sudden there is a tremendous amount of discovery that takes place. And then uh, last week, we talked a little bit about the uh, idea of accountability and uh, that when we are in relationship, that we have the responsibility to continue to fight for the relationships. And I dove into the book of Hosea and we looked at how 
Hosea was called to marry a prostitute, and it was really, uh, it, was, it was a story that took place, but it took place for him prophetically so that everybody around him could see an image of how God loves us and our unfaithfulness, how God is faithful to us when we are unfaithful. And, and it really uh, kind of poses the question or puts us in a position where we should pose the question when a relationship is struggling, when a relationship is in a difficult season, uh, to ask how, how does God react when I am acting this way? So when somebody's hurting me, before I react to them, maybe I should pause and, and take a look at how, I re, how God reacts when I am in sin, when I am far from him. And today I've entitled the message, week three, uh, More Than a Feeling, all right? More than a feeling. Relationships are more than a feeling. So how do I find the right person? Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I'm, I'm definitely leaning into the right person being that, that, that marriage partner, the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. But all of these truths are applicable in all relationships, really, whether it is uh, that best friend or even a coworker. How do I find the right person in my life to do relationship with? Okay, uh, and I also want to add this because I know that when we talk about relationships, especially for those who are single, it can feel like, what does this have to do with me? And why haven't I gotten to a relationship? And Pastor Jim, I mean, God hasn't even told me to marry a prostitute, you know, uh, <laughs> right? I mean, we can have these kind of emotions, but can I tell you that, that one of the, the, the kind of attributes of City Church is that we consider ourselves to be a family, that we're doing life in community. And while you're walking out this portion of your life and you're figuring out what, who that right person's gonna be and what that relationship is going to look like. There are people around you that you have the ability to invest in, to mentor in, and so it is good for you to have a picture of what it looks like to be in healthy relationship. It is good for you to have instruction on what a healthy relationship looks like so that you can play a role in helping others while you're still navigating your own relationship. So what does it look like to find the right person? You know what I'm talking about? The right personality, the right appearance, the right interests, and when you find that person, the person who looks the way you want them to look, they act the way that you want them to act, right, and you begin to kind of entertain what that relationship might look like, specifically maybe even a dating relationship, uh, and it's in that moment, right, I, you kind of use this uh, let, uh, I don't know why it's blanked out, but let the games begin, right, uh, there's no, it's a fill in the blank, let the whatever begin for you. Let the games begin, right? Because you begin the process and the hype. I, I know this one guy, and uh, uh, we, we had our coffee shop previously down on Martin Luther King Jr., and uh, he comes into the coffee shop one day and literally just begins to just kind of like do like this. And he's just kind of like, like just, just free-floating through the air and spinning, and I'm like, uh, hey, hey, bro, what's going on? And uh, he said... Uh, he said, I've met her. And I said, oh, really? And he said, she is the one. I love her so much. And he just went on and on. He sat down across from me and talked about how much, I mean, like, like all of the reasons, like for this reason and that reason, and she, she paints and she draws and she has hair. And I mean, I stopped listening at some point, right? And, and I'm like, that's great. I'm really happy for you. This is awesome, woohoo, right? And uh, so he's really excited, right? And then the next time I see him, Things had gone uh, 
pretty bad, all right? Uh, things were not working out the way that he had hoped that they would work out. And so he comes in and he's all kind of like, uh, and I'm like, what's going on? He's like, we went out. And I was like, I, 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 I assumed you would the way you were dancing and floating through this coffee shop the last time I saw you. And he's like, yeah, yeah, but you don't understand. You know, and he starts naming all the things that she does that he can't handle, right? Have you, have you ever been in that position before, right? And, and so sometimes things go bad right out of the gate. Sometimes it can be a friend, and it's all of a sudden you're like, man, they're really annoying. I thought they were going to be a lot of fun. Or it can be a dating relationship. You can be like, have you seen the way that they eat, right? The way that they put chips in their mouths. I, I, had, I had a friend one time. It was a real struggle for me. We would go to Mexican restaurants, and, you know, they give you the bottomless chips, right? And everybody shares those chips. Chips, right? There are some, there are some like unspoken rules that come to the chips and the salsa. There is some respect that needs to be had when it comes to that. And I know what you're thinking right now. He double dipped. No, no, no. He was respectful enough not to double dip. What he did was he picked up chips and he inserted them into his mouth with his fingers. The entire chip, hand and all, and then would pull his fingers out. And let me tell you something, he won the battle. Nobody else ate chips at that table. We would all sit there and we would all stare at him and wonder what was going on, right? Uh, and, and, and it was one of those things where it was like, when it was time after church on Sunday and everybody was talking about where we were going to eat, right? nobody wanted to go get Mexican, right? We could be his friend, but there were, there were some exclusions, right? When it comes to dating, though, some of those exclusions are a little bit more difficult for us, okay? Uh, we, have a, we have a difficult time uh, navigating them, and, and, and we end up saying no a little bit sooner than later. But have you ever been in a relationship where things were going really, really good for a while, and you thought, like, this could be the one, and then all of a sudden something bad happens? I mean, like, really bad happens? Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever walked through that? Like, I was, I was dating this girl before I was dating Carmen, and uh, we worked at Winn-Dixie. This is like a soap opera right now already. And, uh, uh, and I got off of work and went home, and the next day I come in, and they're like, hey, did you hear about the girl that you were dating? No, no, I'm not naming names right now, so I'm talking very cryptic. And they said, well, so-and-so, the bag boy, my competition, uh, offered to give her a ride home because her car broke down. And instead of taking her home, they went to a golf course and made out. And he's telling everybody about it right now. Can I tell you something? I had the, uh, uh, what's the right word? The, the, the wherewithal to know that was not going to be okay. And I wasn't a jerk or anything. I just said, uh, goodbye, you know. You can have him. I hear he's available. There's however many holes on a golf course. Have fun with that and go do your thing, right? And, uh, but can I tell you that I went home and I laid in bed for days crying, right? And I would cry and then the phone would ring and it would be her apologizing and I wouldn't answer the phone. And this was when we had answering machines, right? So I could hear the answering machine kick on up there and it would be her giving some long thing about how sorry she was and me not answering it. And my mom and dad coming and checking on me and telling me like, are you sure you don't want to talk to her? I was like, no, I don't want to talk to her. Can I tell you the only good thing that came out of that entire situation, right, uh, was, was it was the best weight loss 
uh, moment in my life. Like I lost weight. I looked really great. And so when I was able to stand in front of Carmen a short time afterwards, I was on, I was on my A game and I was able to woo her over and I never looked back. But we get to those places, right? And we drown ourselves in sorrow, right? Like listening to Chicago. When I said that I loved you, I meant that I'd love you forever. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. And if you don't, you'll go home and look this up, right? And we're sitting here and we're struggling because we've had bad relationships. We've had good relationships. We've had it all fall apart. And then we come to the question of how do I find the right person? And sometimes we're in the middle of a relationship and we're still asking this question. And so the conclusion that we come to is that to find the right person, I need to find the next person. And so marriages will dissolve and somebody will say, well, there's got to be somebody out there for me. I'm going to find the right person. I'm not going to give up. And they move from relationship to relationship to relationship. All the time, the real question or the real resolve should be being the right person. You see, it's really never about finding the right person. It's about being the right person. It's about learning how to walk with humility and to be an entirely whole individual. This idea of one and one makes one gets kind of confused when we are looking at it uh, in our world today. People think, well, I've only got to be a, a half good person. And if I can marry somebody who the other half of them is good and, you know, the idea opposites attract, we'll come together and all of a sudden we'll be superstars. The problem is, is that what you're doing is, is you're, you're discounting half of the dysfunction that you two bring to the table. And so there's no reason that your relationship just completely is toxic and falling apart and not working. So then the real question is, how is it that, that you and I can be the right person? That's what I want to try and tackle today. And, and, and I want to tell you, it really is more than a feeling. It's really more than looking at somebody and going, oh, I, I, I've got the, the goosebumps when they walk into the room. It really comes down to this word in the Hebrew, and it is the word lebei, and it is my heart. This word heart and all of its little variations in the Old Testament are really powerful. And this word gets used in three primarily different ways. They all mean the same thing, but we see it translated three different ways, very unique. One of them is mind, and then heart, and then myself. And so it becomes interchangeable when I'm talking about my mind, when I'm talking about my heart, or when I'm talking about my identity. Now, I think this is really powerful if we can come to some, 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 some realization that when, when we are talking about this metaphorical idea of my heart, if we can grab on to how that the Scripture sees that as being really who I am, like through and through. And when we talk about a heart condition, we're really talking about like a me condition. And we all get this like when it comes to fitness, that, that, that we can be people who eat really healthy, and if we don't do any exercise and we're just, we can eat celery all day long, but if we just sit at the couch and watch TV and play video games or whatever all day and never have any exercise in our lives, we can still have heart problems. Or we can be somebody who's hitting the gym every day of the week, and we can make everybody think that we're super fit, but because we're eating fried chicken for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, we can have heart problems. 
And we see this sometimes, right? We'll see somebody that, that's like, we're like, they're in excellent health. Look at, look at the, they're in great shape. And then they're out on a jog one day and their heart just seizes up. Because the thing about the idea of heart here is that it's more than just what is going on on the inside. It is more than what is just going on on the outside. It is about what is happening through and through. Because is it, is it not true that the heart controls it all? right? It's pushing blood through your body, and if it can't do its job, nothing else, nothing else can get the life resources that it needs. I've had the uh, privilege of being on a number of missions trips. One of my favorite places to do ministry, and we help support uh, uh, several uh, areas down, is in Kenya. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you've ever been on a safari before, but going on a safari is actually very interesting and a lot of fun. And I, when we've gone, there, there's two ways to go on a safari. One is that you can go up to the state park and you can just kind of hire a professional to take you out. Or the other way is you get a local somebody who really knows what they're talking about to take you, and then uh, uh, you hire just a driver, right? So uh, first time we go on a safari, they uh, take us around, and, and we're, we're going through all these different little, uh, uh, I guess, different types of terrain. And it's, it's, uh, it's very different than the safari you go on at Disney World, okay? So if you're like, yeah, I've been on a safari, and you're sitting here trying to convince yourself that the safari at Disney World is a safari, it's not. Uh, but there are, there are some good animals at the one in Disney World. That's great. Uh, so there's that. In an actual safari, you're in a Jeep, and the lions can actually come and pull you out and eat you if you are doing something stupid. Or an elephant can come over and knock your Jeep over and run you over. Uh, and so there are just things you don't do in an actual safari. Uh, I'll give you another for instance, like a baboon. You would think, oh, a baboon. I see a baboon. I'm going to get out of my vehicle and take a picture of the baboon. That could work for you until a baboon rips your arm off of your body or something like that. I found out by getting out of the vehicle and the guy who was uh, our guide telling me to get back in that more people are killed by baboons in Kenya every year than lions. And that put some perspective in place. And, and, and I'll tell you, we, we stopped and the baboon came over and got up on the hood of the car and just sat there staring at us. And I was like, what's it doing? And they said, it's exerting its dominance right now, right? And I know that this might be a little bit crude to you, but this is, this is, uh, this is the Discovery Channel right now. Uh, you have heard that uh, monkeys in general like to fling a certain part of their uh, bodily fluids. This one was no different. Um, except instead of flinging it, it just in slow motion got it in its hand and just kind of wiped it across the windshield right in our face and looked at us and backed up and started jumping up and down. I have some respect for a baboon, right? I was like, you win. This thing is a total uh, king right now. I'll stay inside of our vehicle. Uh, and so, but we get to this one area and we're coming down to a river and uh, they said, hey, we're going to go see the hippos. We're going to get out of the vehicle. And I was like, hold on, we have learned not to get out of the vehicle, and now you're telling us to get out of the vehicle, right? And, uh, and so we've got this guy, he's super smart. He knows everything about the animals. He's telling us all the details about, you know, what they eat and what they, uh, you know, what times of day they're out and everything. And we come over to this place and he's like, it's going to be okay. Uh, we're going to take somebody with us. And so there's this little shack over on the side and he goes over and out comes a guy uh, with an AK-47. 
and, uh, and he has it just kind of like, uh, like a walking cane kind of approach. You know what I'm saying? Like where you just take the muzzle and stick it under your arm and go walking down the street. It, Isaac and I kind of freak out at the way that they handle their, their rifles and just kind of sling them around. We're like, you know, hey, good to see you, man. And they just think we're dancing and stuff, but we're actually in fear of like some stray bullet hitting us. And so we get down this little area, and I'm like, what, what's the guy with the AK-47 for? And he's telling us about how dangerous hippos are, right? And that uh, hippo, like we thought the baboon was dangerous, or that we thought that the lions were dangerous. Hippos are savage, right? And, uh, and they don't play around, and so we're going to go down to go see them. And uh, I was like, well, what about crocodiles? They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll see crocodiles, but hippos are the problem. And so we get down to this river, and it's, you know, it's, uh, it's all, like, covered in forest, and uh, we're watching, and we're seeing just little bubbles that are just kind of popping up through the water, and he says, well, they're underwater right now, so the hippos are down there. And so he's telling us about the hippos, and he's saying, I'm sorry, we're not seeing one, and, you know, it's time to go. Uh, we've been down here. We've got to keep moving, and, you know, we saw some crocodiles. And just then, the guy with the AK-47 says there's a hippo, just real nonchalant. I'm not even going to mock his accent or anything like that, but he's got his really thick Kenyan accent. He just points over to one, and it's sure enough, it's like 20 feet away from us. Its eyes are just watching us, and we, we have been out here doing this the whole time, right, and not doing this. And there's a hippo that's pretty close. And of course, what do, what do we do? We've just been told that they are vicious man-eaters, and we're like clawing over each other trying to climb out of the forest, right? And the guy with the AK-47, he's just walking backwards like this, moving his way back up the embankment off of the river. And I realized something on that day, that there is a difference between in intellect and instinct. And that you can know all there is to know about something, right? But knowing is not the same thing as having that gut instinct about what you're to do. Now, we're going to get into Psalm 119 right here in just a moment. And just as a, as a preface for you, this is the longest uh, chapter of Scripture that we have right? So uh, it's very, very long. I'm not going to teach all of it today. Uh, we do a uh, podcast on a weekly basis that we call Deep Dive, and we've just been launching and rolling this out. You can go on YouTube and subscribe, and we go into more depth of what we're talking about on Sunday on there. So if you want to know more about this, you can, you can go in and listen to those. So Psalm 119, uh, most scholars believe that this was written by either David, Ezra, or Daniel. So we don't know exactly who it was written by, but there are things that are happening inside of here that, that, that let us know that, that whoever it is that is writing this is writing it from experience. This is somebody who has been through some difficult situations. Okay, and another interesting thing is that if you look at this in the Hebrew, and I think this is pretty fascinating because we lose a lot in translation, uh, this chapter is actually an alphabet acrostic. And so it goes through the Hebrew alphabet letter by letter every eight lines, okay? Now that doesn't translate into an A through Z approach for us, okay? All right, but there's an overarching theme that they keep pulling back to. So 
for us, A through Z, each time, eight lines, it is this constant theme that the writer keeps coming back to, and that is that the Word is sufficient, right? That the Word of God is sufficient for you and I. This is something that I'm not just up here saying today. Can I tell you, I believe this. So, so when it comes to a conversation around ideology, if the Word teaches on it, I want to know what the Word teaches, and that shapes where I'm going to stand. If we want to talk about politics, right, and we want to talk about political movements and po political ideas, the first place I'm going to go to stand is on Scripture. And I want to be challenged on that. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I want to interpret the Scripture to mean what I want it to mean. But I can tell you that when it comes to my vote or my interpretation or something that I'm counseling somebody on, it's, I'm going to constantly come back and try to understand everything I can through Scripture. And so if the Scripture says that doing something is wrong in the sight of God, then I'm going to be somebody who tries to abstain from it and not make excuses. Now, I understand and I believe free will exists, so I understand that I can't make everybody do those things, right? But what I do know is that I can do it. And if I do it, the scripture says, then I'm being an effective light. And so in that way, I agree with this idea that the word is sufficient. That it might not be comfortable. It, may, it might not be the thing that I enjoy each and every day. But at the end of the day, God's word will always be right and always be sufficient. So I'm going to look at just three verses today. I'm not going to take you through all over 100 verses inside of this. Some of you said amen. Some of you probably would have enjoyed it. We'll come in the middle and just do three verses, all right? So number 112. So we have moved way down into the chapter. The writer says this. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. So we talked about heart just a moment ago, right? So, so the writer says that he inclines his heart. He inclines himself, right? Who he is. He puts himself into the position, right, to perform your statutes forever to the end. The writer says, I'm going to put myself in this position. So how does this word incline break down? And again, for time, I'm not going to uh, go in and show all of the actual Hebrew words here, but it breaks down to be used three different ways in the Old Testament. To turn, to incline, as in to move forward, or to stretch. So we see this Hebrew word used interchangeably in these directions. Now this, I think, helps us understand what the writer is communicating. The writer is communicating that I take who I am and I stretch myself. I'm constantly redirecting and turning myself into your word. I'm being led. I'm being guided by your word. And this is, this is it. This is what I'm talking about. It is the difference between knowing and doing right? The difference between intellect, right? Having that, that, that understanding, right? And then having instinct. Instinct causes you to do things. What we want to do is understand God's Word and then get hardwired to have the instinct to operate on it and act it out. And the writer says, this is my goal. My goal is to be somebody who knows the word, but is constantly pushing towards it and trying to discover it. And can I tell you that your habits create the condition of your heart. If you eat that fried chicken three times a day, and, and the Lord knows that I love fried chicken. So I'm not sitting here just throwing you under the bus. Like, it is one of those things that's like a, it's like a, 
a, a soft spot for me. So I, I try not to ever eat it because it's like a Pringle or, you know, like a, a little bag of chips. You just can't have one. And I find myself, I've found myself in the past, like I can have fried chicken every day of the week if I allow myself, right? But what I understand is that if I do that, I'm doing damage to who I am. Now, wh why would that matter? You'd go, well, what does it matter, Pastor Jim? Just live your life and die and have a good time along the way. Well, the Word of God calls me to be somebody who is living my life with the expectation to run a good race. So does it make a difference how I take care of my body? It actually does make a difference how I take care of my body because I need to see this race through. I don't know how many people are going to be impacted by the message that God will speak through me. I have no idea how many people will be impacted by the high fives that I give or the hugs that I give or the, the times that I show up on the side of the road to help change somebody's tire. All because I believe God has called me to serve humanity, to be a leader in my community, to teach his word. So it makes a difference. I'm not saying that it's easy, but I'm going to tell you there is a difference between knowing and doing. And your habits create the condition of your heart. We get those, those New Year's resolutions going, right? Where we go and we get that gym membership and we go to the gym a few times and then February comes around and we go, oh, it's Valentine's and we start downing the chocolate, right? We start shoving the chocolate in our mouths. We stop going to the gym. I'm not gonna lie, it's not easy to know that going to the gym makes a difference, right? and then actually going to the gym. I live my life, and I'm just, I'm trying to be transparent because I'm preaching it myself in a lot of ways. I live my life in these same cycles. Like I'll go and start running and I'll get it up to, man, I'm running really good. And then I have an excuse not to run for a couple of weeks. And then I go run again. And it's like, like I, I fall over. I feel like I'm dying out there. And I know the benefit that it has, but it's difficult to walk through it. So he says here that I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Same idea. It's like hitting the gym, right? If I'm going to do this, it needs to be a lifestyle. It's like eating healthy. If I'm going to eat healthy, it needs to be a lifestyle, right? If I'm going to love my children, it needs to be a lifestyle. If I'm going to be faithful to my spouse, it needs to be a lifestyle. What does that mean, a lifestyle? That means that for the entirety of my life, the outward appearance is that I make efforts in these areas and then the fruit shows that it to be true. And so I put forth the effort to be the man that God has called me to be. And I do this forever. And so the writer says right here for us, just kind of kicking this idea off, is that he says, I incline my heart to perform your statutes, I'm going to take your word every single day forever. Your word is going to be my truth. I'm not going to make exceptions. I'm not going to make some type of condition that allows your word to be secondary. So when it comes to the interpretation of Scripture, I'm going to be fighting for it, and then I'm going to be standing on it, and I'm going to do this forever. So how do you do this forever? What exactly are the forevers? I think there are four forevers that the writer is going to give us. I'm going to cover two of them right here side by side. Number one, you need to know what to hate and you need to know what to love. You need to know what to hate and you need to know what to love. Verse 113, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. And I know what you're thinking right now. Pastor Jim, you're about to tell us that the Hebrew word for hate doesn't mean hate. It means something else. But you know what it means? 
hate. It means that I detest. That's the other interchangeable word there. So if you don't want to say hate because you feel like that's a really strong adjective or whatever, what is it? Is it an adjective? Is it an adverb? I, I get confused. I'll ask somebody later, right? I hate. Maybe it's a verb. Maybe it's just a verb. It's just an action, right? There we go. See, my school's kicking back in. I finished sixth grade. Hate. You know what I'm saying? I hate is what the writer says. And can I tell you that this shows up in the Old Testament 147 times? 147 times just in the Old Testament, the writers talk about what they hate, what they detest. And so I'm here to tell you that in, on, in some level, you've got to identify the things that you hate. You see, when it comes to chocolate, I love what it does for me, but not what it does to me. When it comes to fried chicken, I love what it does for me, but not what it does to me. You fill in the blank. What is the thing that you go and you turn to that's your little comfort space and you go, man, I love what it does for me in that moment. It makes me feel good. But the problem is what it does to me in the long run. Maybe for you, it's gossip, porn, talking bad about somebody, or maybe it's a dozen crispy donuts, crispy cream donuts at a single sitting. I had somebody tell me they did that one time, and I was like, what? That's pretty crazy. You know, what do you say to somebody like that? Like, way to go. <laughs> a dozen at once? That's great. Maybe you're in here going, Pastor Jim, I do that all the time. All right, that's cool. Uh, so maybe loving something requires hating something. Maybe in order to, to actually love something, I've got to know what it is that I hate. Or, or, or maybe even like this, like let's, let's look at it inside of relationships, right? Maybe being faithful to something or someone requires hating something. Like, like if, I'm, if I'm going to be faithful, maybe I need to detest unfaithfulness. Maybe if I'm going to really be kind and gentle with the people around me, it'll be helpful if I detest people who are, or detest meanness. The writer says there's some type of balance that's taking place here. I hate the double-minded, the person who goes, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but this. Yeah, I'm a follower of God, except for this. Yeah, I love my wife, except for this. Or I'm faithful to my husband, except for this. The double-minded person who says, well, I can't really hate anything because hate's a bad word and we shouldn't hate, we shouldn't hate, we shouldn't hate. And so I've got to be okay with everything and everybody and all of their ideas and everything that comes at me. And the problem is, is that all that you do is you become double-minded because in this one instance, you're going to interpret the scripture this way, but in this instance, you're going to interpret it this way. And the writer says, what I've got to do is I have got to hate being double-minded and just decide what the Word of God says and love the Word for being the Word. He says, I love your law. You see, coming up with a list of things that I hate wasn't very difficult for me. Uh, I sat down and I said, all right, well, if I'm going to believe this, what are some things that I would say that I hate, things that I detest, things that just really set me off? Slavery. Slavery sets me off. And I, I, I'm not just talking about like, 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 United States, pre-Civil War, slavery. I'm talking about slavery. When I find out that there is somebody being held captive in a basement by some creepy individual who thinks that they have the right to own that person, 
It sets me off. I hate it. I hate it. When I find out that in another nation that it is, it is currently okay for slaves because of maybe some type of faith, I hate it. And I, I hate slavery in all of its forms, right? You can call it like a, 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 a work camp. When I find out that in North Korea they take somebody who doesn't conform to the government and they put them in a work camp, I hate that. I detest it. Because I love freedom. And I love freedom for everyone. And I, don't, I want everybody to be free. And I don't just want you to be free like in the sense of like I don't have a physical captor that has enslaved me. I, I, I hate to watch people be enslaved by their sin. Like, I can't stand to watch people who are just destroying themselves. Their marriages are falling apart. Their families are falling apart. All because sin has taken them and locked the chains down. I go home and I, and I just, and I vent to my wife all the time. I'm like, why can they not open up their eyes and see that they are just in bondage? Jesus said, I came, what, to set the captives free. So I, I hate slavery. I love freedom. I hate poverty. I hate poverty mindsets. I, I struggle with understanding the behavior that comes out of it. It's not that I love wealth because that's really not the reality of who I am. You see, I don't have to hate poverty and love being rich. I don't have to be up here telling you that, that you've got to have all the money or else. But I can tell you that you do not have to be an individual who is totally impoverished. And I'm not just talking about financial poverty. I'm talking about spiritual poverty. When I meet somebody who shows up at church every Sunday or once a month, and then I, I see that they don't know the Word of God and they don't know how to act in a situation, that is poverty. And I hate it. I can't stand it. I hate racism. And when I'm talking about racism, I'm talking about people who think that they are better than somebody else based on the color of their skin. I hate this. I hate that mindset. Why? Because the, the Word of God tells me that each and every one of us are uniquely and wonderfully made in His image. And so that person that, 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 that has the act of that type of hate towards somebody is missing out on the fact that just like they were created to be a mediator between what is here on earth and what is in the heavens because we were made from the earth, but we have the Spirit of God in us to be unique, that when I'm hating somebody, I am hating that mediator. So I hate racism. I hate Christ mockers. I cannot stand to get on social media and watch somebody making fun of a Christian. It drives me crazy. Why? Because I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And when I see somebody taking a Christian or a Christian post and dogging them, calling them dumb, calling them stupid, man, it bothers me. Because what I know is that the message of the gospel is the truth. And so when they're mocking the truth, they are espousing, they are spitting out lies. And I know that people need to hear the truth. I hate bullies. Anybody hate bullies? I hate bullies. I was bullied as a kid. 
Like, I have vivid memories of being bullied in school, people making fun of me, calling me four eyes, calling me a beached well. Like, I hate bullies. And I don't just hate bullies because I was bullied, because by the grace of God, like, a lot was done in my heart to help me move past that. I hate bullies because it is not the way that God has called us as believers to act. And we should never be taking advantage of the people around us. The last one that I wrote is I hate arrogance in men. I can't stand this. When a man is divorcing his wife and you're sitting there talking to them about it and they're like, well, don't you think God wants me to be happy? God wants you to be faithful. You're, you're never going to experience happiness. Happiness is a byproduct of faithfulness. Happiness is a byproduct of joy comes in the morning. What happens tonight is walking through what God has called me to walk through. So no, God is today not concerned with your happiness. He is concerned with the truth of the gospel in your life. And when arrogance creeps into a man's heart, and this eats me alive when I'm doing counseling, and he begins to know better and be better and have understanding, and he is being oppressive verbally, physically to his wife, I have problems with that. You're getting a little insight into the things that I hate. My wife already knows this because I'll go home and just, you know, uh, rant about it, right? I'll just sit there and it just drives me crazy. And I can't stop talking about it either. And it, and it does. These things, they push me to prayer. So like if you're an arrogant man, can I tell you something? I probably pray for you 20 times a day. I wake up in the middle of the night praying for you that either you get right or you get hit in the head and get right. But one way or the other that you get right. Because I believe that we need men to rise up and be leaders. We need men to be men in our community. Not men based on a secular standard, but men based on what the Word of God calls us to be. These are people who know the Word of God, who live the Word of God, stand up for righteousness. Yes, you know what? We go and we stand, against, we stand up for those who are oppressed. We stand against oppressors. That's a good thing. But we do it through the Word of God and by the means that it teaches us. Can I tell you something about hate? Is that if I don't hate Egypt, I'll find my way back. What's your Egypt? What's the place of captivity that God has delivered you from? What is the place that, 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 that was destroying you? And if you're a believer in the room today and you've been in that place and you're like, you know what? That was the thing. It was eating my lunch. If you can't detest that thing, right? The word says it's like dogs returning to their vomit. From the outside, like you say that and you're like, that's disgusting. Who, who would do that? If you have a dog, you know exactly who will do it. Your dog. And your dog won't just return to its own vomit. It will return to any vomit. It will return to anything that it thinks is edible. And so we have to, we have to detest these things right? And the other side of that, though, is that we can't just hate. We have to love, because if I don't love his ways, I'll find my way back to Egypt. Elijah is, uh, he's on Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal are up there, and they have come together, and remember, we talked about this, but uh, Jezebel brought the prophets of Baal in. She is a pagan lady. She has turned the nation pagan, 
And so he gets the prophets of Baal up onto this mountain, and he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to see whose God is real, and you guys can go first. And they create a sacrifice, and they decide what they're going to do is they're going to call fire from heaven, right? Seems impossible. How would this happen? And so they sit there, and they're doing their little dance, and their little hollering, and they're hooping. And, and the scripture is really beautiful here. Like, it reads like an episode of, like, what is it, Your Mama from MTV, where they just sit there and sling uh, insults back and forth, right? Except for the only person slinging insults is Elijah. He's like, hey, 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 guys, take your time. Maybe Bell is using the restroom right now. No worries. We'll wait till he's done. Go ahead. Do your thing. And so this is what the word says, right? And they're dancing. Nothing's happening. He's finally like, look, look, no worries. Just give me a moment. And he goes and he digs a trench around the sacrifice. And then the scripture says he goes and he starts bringing water in and he drenches the sacrifice and fills the, the, the little trench around the sacrifice with water. And then he calls on God and it says that fire comes from heaven and it consumes the sacrifice and licks up all the water. Would you say that that's a, a, a good day? Like if, if that were you, would you be like, victory, right? I mean, you'd be pulling out some old school hymn and dancing and I mean, right? I mean, that's the moment where you're dancing in your enemy's face, right? They're completely undone, right? You're just like, ah, that's what I'm talking about. Maybe you're better than me and you're more reserved and you wouldn't do that, but I would straight up be in their faces like, what now? Come on. I know, right? Maturity here. Elijah sees God move in this huge way, and Jezebel says this. She says, she says, what you have done, I am not okay with, and may Bell judge me even more fiercely if I don't have you murdered by tomorrow. Now, I would like to think that having just called fire from heaven, that my response would be like, hey, I know a little place where we can meet, Right? There's already a trench dug out. You stand in the center, and uh, we'll, have a little, we'll have a boxing match, and we'll see who will win. But that's not what happens. You see, Elijah takes off running. And the Scripture says that he goes, and he finds a bush, and he gets underneath this bush, and he says, God, why wouldn't you just let me die? Let me just die right here. God shows up and says, hey, that's not how this thing's going to work. What, what was the reality? This wasn't a good hiding place. You see, he should have turned to God. But when the, when the nerf dart started flying through the air, his heart wasn't prepared for it. And can I tell you that, like, you can be somebody who's bold and somebody who makes good decisions, but if you're not ready to run and hide and find shelter among the king of kings, you're not going to have that shield in place, right? And like Elijah, you'll be asking, like, what went wrong? What went wrong? Why, why is this happening? So where does he hide? It's that key word right there, you. You are my hiding place. You are my shield. In verse 54 of this chapter, it says that your word is my song, right? I think that's a good verse. I'm not going to get into this right now because of time, but it's like this. It's like sometimes when the, when the arrows are flying, when the attack is coming, like we can just begin to sing a song, Right? I'm going to see a victory. And you guys, I don't know if you know this or not, but the, the music that we sing in here on Sunday morning, you can sing those songs throughout the week. You are more than welcome to sing them without Dylan, right? Like, like you can do that. In fact, because of the streaming services that we have, you can listen to any of these songs plus a plethora of additional ones at any time. And you can put on the songs of the word there's really not an excuse not to have a hiding place. 
And can I tell you something about the hiding place? The hiding place doesn't mean that it's a, a feel-good place. Sometimes you're going to be under attack and things are going to be going terribly wrong. That's just a reality. And you'll be in the protection of the hiding place, but you'll still be aware of the attack. So just starting to sing isn't necessarily the thing that's going to make me be like, yay, everything, I feel better. It's about me getting into the place of protection. And then the last one here is know how to hope. What did the writer say? He says, I hope in your word. I hope in your word. Hope is a verb. I needed to be reminded of this this week. Hope is a verb. Hope is not just some description, right? We, we don't just go like hope is this thing that's out there, right? I think a lot of times we, we kind of put even hope as like being like, like a, a place, right? Or something that we obtain. Like I'm striving to the place of hope. But hope is actually what we do. Hope is the action that we are taking. And have you ever heard anybody say this before? I hope for the best, but expect the worst. Like, this is a clown statement. When we hear these types of statements, we should be able to immediately go like, like no, 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 no. That's not what the Word of God says. I hope in the Word. So my expectation is that the, what God sees as best is what's going to happen. He's guarding me. He's protecting me. I'm covered by Him. My heart is in line. I am His and so if I'm going to walk through a difficult scenario, a difficult situation, I'm going to trust that God knows what he's doing. I mean, remember Paul talking about the situations that he had walked through, having been beaten, shipwrecked, lost at sea, going without food. Can I, can I tell you that sometimes being a follower of Christ is not about having everything be happy-go-lucky and fun all the time. Sometimes we walk through some difficult situations, but, but we hope in the Word. We know where to place our hope. Come on, right now, if you have hope in who God is today, would you stand to your feet? Can you hope in His Word? I want to be the type of person who hopes in his word. We're going to close right now. And I want to tell you that the world around us is not necessarily cool with us taking on the identity of the word of God in our hearts. The adversary we've talked about in the past few weeks does not want us living out loud and shining our lights in our community. And there's a tremendous amount of effort that is made to, 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 to make us want to and feel like we should be silent, right? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt like, like, like you know what? I don't want to offend anybody, so I just won't talk about my faith today. I, I, I felt that. I'm just going to be honest. I have felt like, man, you know what? I really don't want to be offensive, so I'm not going to talk about the gospel in this moment. But, but if my hope is in his word, right? If I'm going to take who I am and lean into his word and do what he's teaching me to do forever, then what his word says is to be a light all the time, to be salt all the time, to be engaged all the time. 
And so if something is speaking to me and saying like, hey, that could be offensive right now. Don't you know they are a person of a different faith? Or don't you know that they're, they're not a believer? Or don't you know that they're living in sin? You don't want to offend them. You might push them away. You're not going to find that in Scripture. The Word isn't going to be sitting here saying like, hey, listen, don't talk about Jesus if you think it's going to hurt somebody's feelings. Just as a reminder, the apostles, they took the gospel into places where it cost them their lives. You think people were offended? Yeah, people were offended. But can I tell you what was so amazing about it? Is that in the midst of a handful of those being offended, and yes, some of them were leaders, and yes, it cost some people their lives, the gospel spread like a wildfire. People were getting saved everywhere. And I just want to be an encouragement to you today. I want you to walk out of here today with this idea, I hope in God's word. It is active in my life and I am believing for God to do some pretty amazing things this year. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we're gonna end. And I don't wanna leave without giving you the opportunity to respond if you're in this place and you are not a believer and you have not placed your hope in Jesus. Today, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that. The scripture says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. What does that look like? We talked about this word heart, right? It says that if you will believe inside of who you are, that you are ready to, to, to walk out what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, he will meet you where you're at. He will meet you right where you're at. And so if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to respond. Just raise your hand right now. Amen. Amen. And this is something that when we do this, we don't have to do this each and every time. We don't have to respond over and over and over to this message. Once we make that decision inside, God says he is faithful to make us his own. He, be he begins to do a new work inside of us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, we love you. Thank you for who you are. For those that made a decision today to declare you as Lord of their life. Right now, I just pray, Father, that you would move with might and power and authority in their life. Begin revealing yourself in new ways. Father, I pray that we, as the church here in Savannah and in our neighborhoods as we separate and we go into some outlying communities, that today our hope would become a verb, an action statement that our hope would be in you, our hope would be in your word, that our lives would be transformed and made new each and every day in your likeness. We love you and praise you in your mighty name. Amen and amen. Guys, we're going to take a moment and sing before we leave. Come on, join us right now. Thanks so much for joining us online. We hope you were impacted by the word of God you heard today. We want to help you navigate your next steps if you made a decision for Christ today or simply need prayer. If you want more information about our church, visit us online at citychurch.life. If you didn't get a chance to give online during service and would like to contribute financially, you can go to citychurch.life forward slash give. We look forward to hearing from you and seeing you at church.